Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. And this... All right, should be good. ...is our question asker, John Cherico. He used to live in the Pacific Northwest. So I was working for a private timber company out in uh, southwest Oregon, actually. Their name's Rainier. Today, he lives in Waterbury. About a year and a half ago, he came to Vermont to take a job for the state, for the Department of Forest, Parks, and Recreation. Basically, what I do is help Vermonters with forest health and wildfire issues within central Vermont. There were some trade-offs with the career change. Going from private industry to public employment, you definitely make less. But John saw the perks. I, I decided that, you know, taking a pay cut and coming to Vermont to work for the state had a lot of benefits. It was a quality of life tax is kind of what I called it, taking the, the pay cut. Great place to live, solid health care. And something else that sounded pretty great to John, who's 26 years old, a pension. The average annual pension is around $21,000 a year for the rest of your life with a cost of living adjustment to keep up with inflation. And the pension was kind of like the selling of it. It's like you you work a 40-hour week, the job's done, and then when all is said and done, you have a good pension and you can retire comfortably and pursue other or walks in life at a you know pretty decent retirement age. Fast forward to this past January. Winter is a slower season for a forester, so John was working at his desk at home because of COVID. Sitting at home working, and I saw saw that there were changes proposed. Changes to that pension that John had been so enticed by. Beth Pierce, the state treasurer, was floating some potential cuts. Um, significant and painful recommendations uh, for the um, benefit structures for both the, uh, uh, the, the state and the teacher's plan. Treasurer Pierce came on VPR's show, Vermont Edition, in February to talk about her recommendations. There were a lot of them. Uh, some reductions uh, and or eliminations of cost of living adjustments. Increasing the years used to calculate the average Pushing out the years of retirement. Uh, and increasing employee contributions. So that is the crux of the, rec- uh, the recommendations. Uh, they differ from... Basically, a grand tightening of the belt, with teachers and state employees like John getting, I think it's fair to say, a worse deal than they signed up for. Now, Beth Pierce said something had to be done, because the pension fund right now has billions of dollars in what are called unfunded liabilities. We'll get more into this later, but basically it's the estimated gap between how much money the state is going to owe retirees in the future and how much the pension fund is actually going to have. And that gap is growing. And the recommendations are not submitted lightly, but with the recognition that action is needed uh, and we need to continue to provide retirement security for all of our employees. Again, these were just recommended cuts. But John is following the news, and he's thinking to himself, leaving the private sector. Was this the right career move? Did I make the right call? <laughs> I guess. Uh, can I afford to 
to do this, I guess, in Vermont. <laughs> it's kind of my thought. Like, I, I'd love to be a state employee, and and I think I will continue to be a state employee, but it financially, it's hard. And John says it'd be hard to save more on his own, because living on his state salary is already kind of tight. I'm housing stressed. <laughs> it's You'd think with, you know, I, I've got a master's degree, I, I'm experienced, I, I've got everything I need, and I'm still struggling to... Uh, to afford Vermont. <laughs> and I know I'm not alone. I mean, I, I've got, I've talked to coworkers about this issue. It, it, it's a little scary right now. <laughs> I guess it's just like, does, does this equation shake out? Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism project. I'm Angela Evans-C. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been asked and voted on by you, our audience, because we think our journalism is better when you're a part of it. Our latest winning question comes from John Cherico. What's going on with state employee and teacher retirement funds in Vermont? Is a career in public service smart for young Vermonters? The very idea of a public pension raises an awkward question. If the state makes a promise to its workers, does it have to keep its word? You're kind of given this promise that it'll work out down the road. Um, You'll be able to retire and, you know, get some sort of livable life in your older years, and it'll all work out great. Our pensions are a promise. We have worked. We have kept up our end. And just how urgent is this problem? Our pension system is in trouble. There's no question about it. The fact that you have unfunded liabilities does not, by necessity at all, imply there is a crisis. We have support from VPR's sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. This is one of those BLS questions that became a fast-moving news story. Shame on you! Before I knew it, I was at a giant protest at the Vermont State House, listening to public employees unleash profanities about the legislative process. I don't give a shit if the governor vetoes it. Rip the freaking votes. Do your job and override it. The time for rank-and-file union members from all of our unions to be united to speak with one voice, to be unafraid, to stand in solidarity with each other is now! No cuts, no more additional years, no concessions. Stop the bullshit and get to work. I'm a good teacher, I have a master's degree in education, and I love my job! I also have been promised a pension by the state of Vermont! That last voice was Jen Ellis. She's a public school teacher. She also happened to make the mittens that Bernie Sanders was wearing when he went viral earlier this year. Ellis wasn't very teachery or mitten-y at this rally. She was pissed. 
Don't pat me on the head and say, oh yes, we know you're important, but we can't afford to honor our commitment to you. That is a cheap lie. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? To understand how things escalated so quickly, we've got to back up and give some context. Maybe you followed this story as it unfolded, in which case, thank you for your patience for the next few minutes. Or maybe you are coming to this topic cold, like my colleague, Myra Flynn. Hello, Myra. Hello, Angela. So you just moved back to Vermont a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just moved back to Vermont in March, so I really have no idea what's going on with this issue. And you know, I really didn't either when I took up John's question. So by way of a very basic explanation, pensions are confusing and complicated. The first thing I learned when I started reporting this story is that there is no shortage of acronyms. ADEC, OPEB, COLA, DB, DC, AFC, AAL, UAAL, the list just goes on and on. Jeez Louise, I have no clue what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, that's okay. I hope this is not journalistic malpractice because I'm actually going to try to answer John's question without any of those acronyms. Okay. So the first thing to know is that this is not the first time Vermont has grappled with pension funding. Uh, A phrase that you'll often see in coverage of this issue is chronic underfunding. So this is not a new tension by any means. I see. Okay. Yeah, but one of the reasons that it flared up earlier this year is that actuaries, who are basically people who assess financial risk, looked at Vermont's fund and said, you know what? we don't think these investments are going to perform as well as we thought. And so they recommended lowering the fund's expected rate of return. And when the people who manage the fund heard that, they decided to lower the rate from 7.5% to 7%. And that doesn't sound like too much. No, it really doesn't sound like a big thing, right? But Treasurer Pierce says that that lower rate of return combined with increased pension costs, really demands intervention. Um, And this gets back to the unfunded liability that I mentioned earlier. When that rate of return was revised downward, that unfunded liability got even bigger. Um, So right now, it's about $3 billion, plus another $2.6 billion in health and other benefits that we haven't even talked about yet. Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, those are big numbers. Um, But at this point, I would like everyone to please take that term, unfunded liability, and just like put it on a shelf in your brain, because we're going to come back to it later. Um, And the reason is there are people who take issue with this whole framing and say these billion dollar estimates actually make the problem sound much worse than it really is. So more to come on that later on. All right. I'm officially starting to understand this now. (laughs) Okay, great. Hopefully our listeners are too. Um, So thank you, Myra. And let's continue with the story. After Treasurer Beth Pierce made her recommendations in January, another pension plan came out in March. Good morning. You are with the Vermont House Government Operations Committee. 
It was debuted in the House Government Operations Committee by Representative Sarah Copeland-Hansis. Nobody likes the situation that we're in, but we are looking to try to find the right combination of changes that will make this more sustainable for uh, for the general fund as well as for the retirees and beneficiaries. And basically, it put a lot of the pressures on workers that Pierce had recommended. Work more years, pay more money into the system, and get less out in retirement. Overall, it was going to cost people who were more than five years away from retirement hundreds of millions of dollars. And the state was going to chip in $150 million bucks as a one-time contribution. Any other questions on that slide before we go back to the next one? I cannot overstate how much public workers and teachers hated this plan. I, for myself, and I think I speak for a lot of teachers, are feeling burned by what's happening in the past, but also feeling burned by this process. The week this proposal came out, I talked to Bjarki Sears, a teacher at Middlebury Union High School. Full disclosure, this is my alma mater, but Sears got there after my time. What was released on Wednesday actually goes farther than Treasurer Pierce's suggestions. Those things we thought were too much. Now we get even more. Um, I would say the, the, the words are hurt, uh, the words are pain, the words are disappointment, and confusion. I hate to say it, but it feels like they stole our money, that they were supposed to dedicate to us. Robin Hersey is an IT developer. She's been with the state for 29 years. She told me she knew people who were retiring early to get ahead of any cuts. And even though she would have been exempted under the House proposal... I'm not 100% sure I'm staying even then because I don't trust them. I don't trust them from year to year not to change something else. You know, so nobody becomes a teacher to get rich, but it does help to have a fair wage, good health insurance, and a stable pension. Matt Henschen teaches at Harvard Union High School. And so far, I've got 14 years in, and all we have experienced is wage stagnation, uh, increased health care costs, and reductions in benefits. So it is tough. And not only that, but as a 46-year-old, I still carry $40,000 in student loan debt, which means that as my son enters college uh, next year, I have nothing to help him with. The unions ripped into the proposal, and they said they didn't like the way it had come together, seemingly very quickly and behind closed doors. Teachers started demonstrating outside of their schools. Give us a beep! Give us a beep! (laughs) There we go. I'm going to throw out my notes here because... And then the House committee heard from workers and educators directly on two separate days. I find it unfathomable that this group of people would consider what they call stabilizing the pension fund, not by actually stabilizing it, but by cutting the promise pensions that you made to teachers and students. It's hard for me to speak right now because I just feel so, so mad. Whatever you do, you need to stop calling this painful. You don't get to pretend to care about the pain when you're the ones inflicting it. And now you're ripping a rug from underneath us. And doing it during the most difficult time in our professional careers. The past 48 hours have made me feel so disrespected, so dejected, so pessimistic about my chosen career. This is where you could also hear a collective answer to the second part of John's question. Is a career in public service smart for young Vermonters? It came in the form of a warning. If someone asked me three months ago, should I become a teacher? I would have said yes. If somebody asked me now, I would say, I don't know. Can you afford to? 
Our state will not see the strongest teachers working here. Many will leave the profession and fewer young people will pursue it. Our state's education system will slide into mediocrity and that will greatly impact our economy. The outcry was so passionate and so angry that just nine days after the plan had been introduced, We have been listening closely to our constituents and hearing their concerns. Speaker of the House Jill Krowinski walked it back. Instead of overhauling the pension system, Krowinski called for something much, much, much more incremental. A task force. I would like them to work hard over the summer and come back to us sometime in the fall so that when we get back in January, we have a really good sense of where we're starting from. That and proposed changes to the governance structure of the board that manages the investments in Vermont's pension funds. To make it more transparent, more independent, and bring more expertise to the table to get things done. This happened on a Friday morning, April 2nd. Teachers and public workers had been planning to protest this proposal the very next day, Saturday, in Montpelier. And even though they'd kind of won for the time being, they still turned out. The announced pause does not mean this is over. This is the same rally you heard at the beginning of the episode. And the people here had some messages to send. One big one was, if the pension fund needs more money, don't try to get it from us. Just tax rich people. Why do we continue to act? Like we can't afford to raise taxes on those who can afford to pay more. And the only people who can afford to pay more are working people? Who do these people represent? There was also a lot of rage about how any cutbacks to pensions would disproportionately affect women. This is an attack on women. Women make up 75% of teachers. This is an issue of equity and justice. And you could almost hear political fault lines shifting in real time. Certain Democrats were getting called out for being anti-woman and anti-worker. As an Emerge Vermont alum, which is a democratic political program focused on the benefits citizens gain when women hold office, I am horrified that women leaders in this state, like Speaker Krowinski and Treasurer Pierce, have tried to go after the teacher pension system. Representative Jill Krowinski, which side are you on? Representative Sarah Copeland-Hansis, join me. Which side are you on? This is not Republican versus Democrat. Make no mistake about it. This is anti-government versus us. So how did things get so messy? When we come back, a completely different answer to the question of what's ailing Vermont's pensions. The fact that you have unfunded liabilities does not, by necessity at all, imply there is a crisis. That's right after this. It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Today, pension tensions. Earlier, I asked you to remember the phrase unfunded liability. This is basically the estimated future debt of Vermont's pension system. 
Vermont's unfunded liability is billions of dollars. And it's what everyone references when they talk about the need to cut benefits. The thinking is, if we don't solve this crisis now, eventually the pension fund will be insolvent. I talked to some people with a different take. The first thing to know is that because you have an unfunded liability doesn't mean you can't pay your benefits. This is Louise Shainer. She's an economist at the Brookings Institution, a think tank based in D.C. I spent most of my career at the Federal Reserve. Shainer says that the unfunded liability isn't as bad as it sounds. Let's try this thought experiment. Imagine that Vermont borrowed $5.7 billion and put it into its pension plan. So its pension plan was therefore fully funded, completely able to pay benefits. But now it has this debt, $5.7 billion. It's just moved it, right? So what it has to do on that debt is just pay interest. You don't have to ever pay off the debt. You just have to pay interest. So being unfunded or underfunded just means you have debt. So it doesn't mean it's a crisis. Shaner says, yes, someone needs to absorb the risks in the market, either the state or workers. Because of this, many other states have cut a benefit that Vermont workers do still have, a cost-of-living adjustment on their pension payments, so future retirees can keep up with inflation. But either way... States can't really go bankrupt, right? They don't have the legal ability to go bankrupt. So it just means, look, Vermont is going to have, you know, some potentially have some pressure from their pension plans and have to either raise taxes or cut spending in the future if things go poorly. And so the fact is, is that over 30 years, these costs are manageable under the current system. Another person I talked to was Matthew Cunningham Cook. He's a researcher and investigative reporter, and he's done a lot of work on pensions for labor unions. He's based in Philadelphia and Brattleboro. I mean, when I say there is no crisis, what I mean is that unfunded liabilities are not the problem uh, that they say they are. So, you know, Cunningham Cook says the same thing as Louise Shainer from Brookings. Everybody calm down. The fund can stay afloat with some level of debt. He also says that the anxiety about unfunded liabilities and the rush to cut benefits is part of a larger pattern playing out across the country. Let's be clear. This is a Republican agenda. This is a far right Republican agenda. The goal is to crush public sector unions to allow Wall Street to have unfettered control of our democracy. And we're seeing it play out at the state level in our little state of Vermont. And it's a tragedy and Vermonters should be outraged about it. For his part, Cunningham Cook wants to point people in a different direction, away from the pension benefits and toward the management of the money itself. The problem is the bottom of the barrel investment performance of the pensions. The problem is risky, untested investment strategies like hedge funds and private equity that operate as black boxes. They're not subject to any federal securities laws. Cunningham Cook says there's not enough transparency into how public workers' retirement money is being managed. And the funds aren't doing that well. On management? We basically are just taking the money manager's word for it, and we're not auditing the underlying performance. So we need a top-to-bottom review. And on the funds themselves, Cunningham Cook says Vermont's pension investments have been underperforming the market. If they'd been in more conservative, low-fee index funds for the past 10 years, 
He says the funds would have made an extra $1.5 billion. You know, that's really the crisis here, you know, is that when we look at the investment performance over the past decade, you know, it's a billion and a half dollars in uh, in missed returns. And that is real money, unlike unfunded liabilities, which is really fictive and futuristic. According to a 2019 analysis from the Institute for Pension Fund Integrity, Vermont's fund had the 44th worst performance in the country. So the point is, let's let's get some transparency in here and so we so the public can ascertain exactly what's going on. This, in a way, is what Speaker of the House Jill Krawinski called for when she proposed changing the makeup of the board that oversees Vermont's pension investments. To make it more transparent, more independent, and bring more expertise to the table to get things done. That bill has now been passed by the Vermont House. Lawmakers are also considering a separate pension oversight board proposed by Representative Hal Colston. I really believe it's this oversight piece that hasn't been in place that has been really uh, a key missing uh, structure. We'll see what happens next. I looped back to our question asker, John, as we were wrapping up this episode. He said now that the weather is warming up, his forestry work for the state is getting busier. And he's also decided to pick up a part-time job as a bartender to make more money. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to John Cherico for the great question. If you have a question about Vermont, ask it at bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit at BraveStateVT. I reported this episode with guidance and moral support from Peter Hirschfeld. Mixing and sound design by Josh Crane. Digital production by Myra Flynn and Elodie Reed. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Paul Sherrier, Beth Roundtree, Anna Van Dyne, and Bob Kinzel. I relied heavily on reporting from VT Digger for this episode, so thanks also to Lola Dufour and Xander Landon. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. If you're a fan of the show, let us know at bravelittlestate.org donate. Or just tell your friends to listen. I'm Angela Evansy. We will be back soon with more people-powered Vermont storytelling. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.